0: Sometimes they are so smart. They put a known source as the source. Mm-hmm. They say, "Oh, this is from the Economist." If you know the Economist, you can recognize the Economist's style. Okay, only media people or editors will recognize that. But at least the next step you can take if you're still doubtful is log in to the Economist and search for this item that you saw, then you can read the original Economist report, if there was one. If you can't find any on the economist, then it's a a fake attribution. So you, you can check the source, then you can check a source that seems to be credible by going to the source directly.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the bell icon. I'm your host Fritz Bussemaker and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Cyril Pereira. Cyril, welcome to the show. Thank you Fritz,
0: good to
1: be on the show. Yeah. Uh, Cyril is a media professional originally from Malaysia but now based out of Hong Kong for over 35 years. He coaches data journalism for insights into society and policy review. Now uh, before that he was uh, the publisher of Asia Magazine, senior executive with the South China Morning Post and on the board of the Bangkok Post and also an unprecedented fourth-term chairman of the Society of Publishing in Asia which brings together all the global brands in media, which uh, have a uh, focus on Asia. So again, Cyril, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you are a very much a hardcore media person. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's, now, that's a I
0: carry.
1: Yeah. Now, what we're going to talk about: the future of news, the future of newspapers. Um, Is there a future? Is this a dying industry or is it still still alive and kicking?
0: I would say that what it used to be is dying. What it is transforming into is actually quite dynamic and alive and by that I mean the smart uh, publishers and editors After initially resisting change, embraced it. And some of the best examples are the New York Times and the Financial Times, who have become multimedia organizations without, without, and this is important, without compromising the integrity of content.
1: Okay, uh, so Let me rest stop rest there for a minute, but just to, yeah. uh, to bring the audience up to speed, when you say h- yeah. how it used to be, can you describe briefly yeah. what that classic media is?
0: Traditional media was a 24-hour cycle gap. They publish at night and then they don't publish again until the next morning. Okay. So, it's a 24 hour gap of information and then a hard copy print which carries what happened more than 24 hours ago.
1: Yeah, got it. That was the traditional news. And now it's multimedia.
0: Well, even before this happened, basically the internet and social media removed the news asset of newspapers, they were no longer news, they lost news because news is 24-7, it's not the day before, it's as it happens and that's where newspapers lost its only
1: asset of news, Mm -hmm. they had to find new value. Got it. So. Twenty-four and yesterday's news is no news anymore, and that's what newspapers okay. did. So they need really needed to change their game. Uh, and now. Uh,
0: those that have succeeded have learned that the news is known. The significance of the news to the citizen is what they should be addressing. Mm-hmm. Value add.
1: What is the value
0: add to the news the reader already
1: knows? Okay. Now, in my introduction, I mentioned you are you coach data journalism. G- please give us a definition of what data journalism is and why okay. it's relevant.
0: Uh, I introduced it in 2015 to the China Daily Hong Kong edition <laughs> mainly because Hong Kong, as you know, at that time, uh, until very recently was a very free media environment Mm -hmm. and it had newspapers that spanned extreme left to extreme right and a cluster in the center. So you get slanted perspectives on both extremes uh, where in a city undergoing Traumatic political change, this became a big problem and um, China Daily uh, was having some challenge to be relevant in Hong Kong and so I suggested to the publisher that look, Hong Kong as a city like any other city in the world faces a lot of issues that the local administration must resolve, which has nothing to do with political ideology at all. Things like uh, we buy water from southern China at huge expense. We pay a huge premium for that water, but our aging water distribution system through the city wastes 20% of it through leakages and bad maintenance, whether you're left, right, center, or anything. Uh, We have a rapidly aging population. Our buildings are not designed for the handicapped or people with wheelchairs. Uh, We don't have enough hospital-trained personnel to deal with the problems of the aging, which are quite unique. Uh, Again, that doesn't... Need, uh So, like that, I said, look, why don't you focus on the problems, day-to-day, everyday problems of the people who have to live in this city, which are not being resolved, not because we don't have the money, I'm coming on in a few places with a huge surplus income for okay. government, uh, but we don't have the focus from the governance of Hong Kong, they're all distracted with the political noise. They can't see the day-to-day issues. So every month, I said, let's do what I call data journalism in this context, which is totally fact-based. The data is taken from government data and public data and then extracted for what you need for your purpose but it is not opinionated, it's these are the facts, these are the five year trends of this particular issue. And these are what the experts, the stakeholders around this topic, whether it's water or public health or uh, pollution, uh, these are the, what the experts say should be done And this is what the government has tried doing, but has not been successful. Where are the policy gaps? So the data journalism we do defines the topic, shows the data, and very importantly, uses excellent graphics to communicate quickly what the issue is, and brings in the expert perspectives and the stakeholders so that policymakers have one
1: reference in which they get all perspectives. That's a service. Okay, um, but aren't you to some extent still having an opinion if you determine as a newspaper which topics I'm going to cover and which not? If you as uh, maybe um, decide I'm not going to cover. the yeah,
0: because we have uh, twelve issues a month maximum in a year. Uh, we've now covered. Forty-eight, nearly fifty topics, and there it doesn't seem to be an end to it, because you know waste disposal, plastics disposal, um, harvesting rainwater. I mean, when you start getting into it, mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be an. End. You're not exhausting the issues, so we are not short of subjects, and as long as it has to do with the. Well-being of Hong Kong residents, and is nothing to do with political ideology. We cover it.
1: Got it. And do you, uh, how does the readers react to this shift? Do they actually do they recognize it that is being done? Um, uh,
0: actually, the the target for the data journalism being done are the policymakers. Not necessarily the mass uh, audience. Okay. The policymakers in the legislative council, the civil service, the university scholars, the political parties. So we they all recognize that is a problem that hasn't been solved, but no one seems to to know what to do about it. They say, Oh, we've uh, approved. Budget, mm-hmm. we have uh, passed the uh, regulation or whatever, and then that, that's the end of it. There is no follow up, there is no review, there is no why is it not so. So, we are prompting these questions of the people responsible. So, they are our target. They, and um, uh, in order to do that uh, as a follow up, what we also do every year, we publish what we call a collections. So the years, all the terrorism issues of the year, are then reprinted into a book as a collection of topics and distributed to the same policymakers.
1: So Got that's it. how
0: we, we close the loop from that.
1: Okay, now let me ask you a question which might be seen as cynical, uh, but you've you've probably (laughs) heard about the verb. Generalism
0: Generalism is about being
1: cynical. (laughs) Great, good, okay, so I'm in your corner now. Um, You've obviously heard of lies, dem lies and statistics. To what extent can the data you use be manipulated that still you uh, unconsciously are going to be manipulated to present a picture based on data given to you, which might not be the truth. So how do you check the data? How you are you see, we, are not,
0: we are not requesting any single source for the data. We are finding the data ourselves, okay. which was data that was prepared for some other purpose, a mostly routine administrative data they keep records and they keep records and they keep records of whatever it is they're responsible for. So it is not as if we go to Mr. A or Mr. B and say, can you tell us what you have in data on this subject? No, we find it from multiple sources and we can, and the other thing we do is we compare the data for Hong Kong with similar data for Singapore or London or Paris or Amsterdam to make comparisons how other cities are dealing with it. So it's both uh, internal data examining what's happening in Hong Kong and comparative data with similar
1: cities elsewhere. Now is this for you the solution um, the approach for modern journalism, data journalism or are there uh, additional other things Papers can do, uh, brands can do to remain relevant.
0: I would think that uh, ideological propaganda is as furious as ever whether in print or online. In fact, it's more online now than it's in print and uh, the, the average citizen is having a tsunami of it. There is no shortage, there is an overabundance and a lot of it is rubbish. It's not objective.
1: Uh, Are you talking Uh, about uh, all the social media out there which is perceived to be news? uh,
0: Social media is a blessing for families keeping in touch with each other, children abroad and at university. It's a curse for society as a whole because of the growing Abuse of it, the trolls and paid, uh, fake news to, uh, promoters and stuff, uh, it, it, it's, it's a curse, I mean it, it's, and now what is even worse, the fake news trolls, I'm journalists who have been trained in how to write in a credible way to make fake news pretend to be authentic and that's an even greater uh, difficulty for the average citizen to distinguish. I mean just today I was sent uh, or in one of the groups that uh, I was sent uh, what sounded and read like real stuff that the Ministry of Health in Singapore has done an autopsy on a COVID uh, death uh, person, and having cut this man up on the table, they found blood clots in all his veins uh, everywhere, and it's nothing to do with a virus. It's it's a bacteria caused the blood clot problem, etc., etc., etc. Then I was reading this, and I said. Then I, I, I immediately searched for what is the source? Where is the source? Where is it coming from? And right at the bottom, it says uh, Ministry of Health Singapore. And immediately I knew, I knew it was fake because the language of the Singapore government is definitely not this, it is not their style. So I immediately replied to my group, stop sharing this is fake news. The Ministry of Health in Singapore doesn't talk like this or send any communication like this, cut it out but
1: then how many people can make that (coughs) deduction? The average person cannot. So this uh, then I have to ask you the question indeed with your 35 years experience you can recognize it to be fake news, how can you coach helped the general public to start to recognize it as well for those really seeking. Okay,
0: there are some simple basic uh, steps that the average person can take. When you receive something that sounds either too good to be true or too outrageous to be true, first of all check the source, immediately check the source. What is the source? And if the source is something you haven't heard of, it's a, it's a, a link that you've never seen before. You can almost say it's hundred percent fake. You can dismiss it. You don't need to investigate it further. Now, if the Forbes sometimes they are so smart, they put a known source as the source. Mm-hmm. They say, "Oh, this is from the Economist." If you know the Economist. You can recognize The Economist's style. Okay, only media people or editors will recognize that. But at least the next step you can take, if you're still doubtful, is log in to The Economist and search for this item that you saw. Then you can read the original Economist's report, if there was one. If you can't find any on the economists, then it's a a, a fake attribution. So you you can check the source, then you can check a source that seems to be credible by going to the source directly. That's the next thing you should. do. And the third thing is, if it is a news item that should concern the public as a whole, Why is it not on any of the major platforms? If it is not also on any of the major platforms, something is fishy about it. So you can check Reuters, you can check Bloomberg, you can check CNN, you can check BBC. If that item is not
1: top of news on those platforms, chances are it was invented. I think that's very sound good advice uh, although it does look like a lot of average for the average reader recipient of news.
0: Yeah, They, they don't want to make the effort yeah. they, they don't, and they, they hit the button to send to share to, uh, because it's sensational. Yes. Know, it's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Although I do see a growing trend where uh, news media are now covering each other and to uh, make comments on uh, other media outlets uh, about the news they're providing, to what extent it's biased or truthful or not. Uh, so, yeah. maybe, so no, you, it uh, has been uh, done for uh, us.
0: Uh, it's good that uh, news media themselves are beginning to verify uh, what other media are publishing. Uh, it's a good and balance within the industry uh, for consumers. But then there's a lot more beyond beyond that that's going on social media that that it, as I said, it's like a tsunami. I mean how do
1: you how does the average social media victim deal with it? Now in your opinion, uh, who should be the, the organization's the stakeholders to uh, make certain that we still uh, have that, I would say, uh, part uh, that that institution is part of our our uh, glo- global system. Uh, is is one of the elements of being a democracy. Uh, you have to have uh, uh, independent news. Yeah. who should we. What's
0: uh, um, the question? You had a question. Yeah. No. no just,
1: question? Oh, I was just wondering the fact that. um what you're observing uh, the, the struggle of news, the, the, the transformation to multimedia data-driven uh, news, uh, the fact that news are now covering other newspapers as well uh, for the benefit of the public to, the, to help distinguish between what's uh, fact and uh, what's an alternative truth for lack of better words. Um, are there institutions we can call upon to to help keep that news as trustworthy as possible?
0: We don't yet have much activity in in terms of independent verification uh, and independent uh, fake news checks. Uh, The US is very 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 dynamic on this. Uh, The Knight uh, Foundation, Pew and Columbia, places like that, have taken proactive steps to uh, institutionalize uh, fake news verification that a that, uh, consumer can go into their website and put the item on and say, is this, and then you get a response back if it's fake or not? Uh, but that uh, has not yet become a global resource and it is still very much limited to the English language. I believe Germany has got some uh, development in the German language uh, for for German uh, content but apart from the English language in the USA, uh, I think Reuters has something too in terms of fact checking but it hasn't yet become a kind of Global consumer resource. Uh, I believe uh, your organization uh, could contribute something in terms of uh, content verification and in terms of AI to work in this area. Uh, It's difficult. Uh, We still need the human judgment. In, in gray areas, we need the human judgment. AI helps maybe 80% of the way. Uh, a combination of AI and final human judgment may work, but uh, perhaps uh, we should encourage governments, but they are the biggest offenders fake news to start with. But maybe we should encourage governments or parliaments at least, to consider uh, institutionalizing a fake news verification for the country and for its citizens.
1: Well, wow, that's quite a big challenge you're describing. If we really have to um, um, address uh, governments on the globe, um, where do you draw your inspiration from? What makes you, um, yeah, dr- uh, what what drives you to still put effort in this?
0: I believe that uh, there is always a pendulum in, in global affairs. The pendulum now has swung so far to uh, this, this uh, epidemic, pandemic of fake news that I think more and more citizens are getting fed up of it, uh, they're getting tired of it. It there is the saturated with it. and the mood is now turning towards embracing more credible trusted brands and
1: sources. Okay, but I was wondering about your personal role in this whole uh, situation, what do you want to contribute to that what we're observing right now?
0: Well, uh, <coughs> I must say that uh, the work so far done which is quite considerable, on the China Daily archives in the data site that uh, anybody clicking in can go to the data part of the website and uh, issues of, of topical importance to every country. It's, while it may be specifically uh, looking at Hong Kong, the issues are everywhere, it's common issues. And I have had interest here in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, People asking me, how can we replicate such kind of journalism here? Uh, And I think similarly, the model can be used in every city in the world by a set of uh, uh, journalists oriented to that to create new value, create new value in content and information.
1: And supply it to all the newspapers. Okay, just out of curiosity, you've mentioned a couple of times it can apply to different cities around the world. Um, yeah. Hong Kong is a city, so I, I, I can understand that. Uh, but would it also apply for uh, governments as a whole, nations as a whole, or uh, is city something specific? Uh,
0: cities have specific uh, issues around cities. Which are also covering or overlapping issues of countries. Like, for example, uh, public health care is a national issue. Uh, pollution is a national issue. Plastic waste is a national issue. Um, aging populations, is national issue. So, I don't see the model as it applies to Hong Kong being unable to be extended to cover the country.
1: Got it, okay. Now, in all your years as uh, a journalist working in the international uh, media uh, industry, uh, what are your biggest learnings and failures to date?
0: Be careful in choosing your boss. You have to be as critical in employing your boss, employing I'm using inverted commas, as it is when you interview a subordinate, potential subordinate. Because your boss has so much power, corporate power, administrative power, bureaucratic power that if he isn't a good leader, you become a victim. And my motto, having worked in Kwan in Singapore and in Hong Kong, <clears throat> is life is too short to waste it under a lousy boss. So you've got to fire your boss. I mean, you've got. To, I mean, meaning you leave. You can't waste. Can't afford to waste time. And you got to find somebody under whom you can develop and convert your potential because he supports you, he wants you to develop. So in the same way, uh, that for me is the biggest learning that don't hang around. If you've got a guy who's gonna be there for another three or five years and he's rotten to the core. don't waste time. That's the biggest learning. And I have had several switches of careers uh, precisely for that, where I just come in and announce I'm resigning. I don't have a job in hand. I'm just walking out. That's it. I've had enough. I'm gone. Uh, I've been lucky, of course, that uh, uh, I've you know found appropriate uh, counter employment. And uh, the other thing that I learned, the life learning, is. Until you get out of your comfort zone, you really do not know what is out there that is good for you and, and uh, you good for them. Uh, for example, when I first went to Hong Kong, when I told my boss and I told my colleagues uh, in Kuala Lumpur and in Singapore that oh, I'm going to Hong Kong. The reaction was one of shock, truly shocked. Then people were calling me up as though I'm going to an execution and they were commiserating with me saying, well, I heard you're going to Hong Kong, wow, you know, that's, that's really going to be tough. You don't speak Chinese, you're not Chinese, it's a totally Chinese city. Uh, and you know Hong Kong, you've seen it on TV, they're all gangsters, they're all killers, they're all tribes, uh, and you're going into this environment, and you don't speak a word of it, and you're not Chinese, oh my god, I mean, uh, how are you going to survive? So everybody came to me saying that was the worst decision you could have ever made, and uh, I never thought about that. I, I truly never even considered it. I just said, hey, here's Hong Kong, let's go and see what's going on there. You know? uh, it's such a dynamic city and so on. So, but when I went to Hong Kong, the biggest success of my life is Hong Kong. I was in so many government uh, advisory boards. I was in industry boards. I was chairman of the Society of Publishers. I was operations director of the South China Morning Post, one of the best English language newspapers in Asia, and I was an outsider, complete outsider, not an insider at all. So getting out of your comfort zone, if if you believe in yourself, is vital. You must get out of your comfort zone, because you don't know what's out there. And I'm just looking back in horror at what I would have missed if I didn't come to Hong Kong. If I haven't spent 35 years of my life in Hong Kong, what I have missed? I would have missed the whole world. Adventure and networking and uh, global
1: You've definitely proven the people wrong that indeed in those 35 years you've been quite successful in uh, the international media industry. Uh, So uh, I want to thank you very much for sharing your insights in, uh, well, personal insights in fire your boss uh, if it's no good fit. (laughs) One thing I've also learned. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, Just throw yourself into the deep end. and uh, great things will come and from the media perspective, uh, media is changing, it's moving into uh, a multimedia platform and that the whole data-driven journalism uh, can help society maintain to present uh, real fact-based news and thank you also for sharing your insights in how we can recognize what's fake news and what's not fake news and hopefully we can help Yeah maintain a democratic uh, system in this world. So so thank you very so much for sharing your insights with The Brand Called You.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world.